the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. fevers are weak, that my lessons don't hurt, that my medicine is sweet, that these days are not the pearls, and I'm not the swine. Welcome to The Marinade, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. Each episode, we welcome musicians, actors, comedians, authors, visual artists, filmmakers, anyone who creates art to talk about how and why we make stuff. This is episode 158, and our guest for the second time is Joe Pug. Pug is a revered singer, songwriter, and podcaster from Greenbelt, Maryland. He's been releasing music since 2009's classic record, Nation of Heat, which was about the time his work came into my life. His latest album, Sketch of a Promised Departure, will be released on March 3rd, 2024. The first time I got to talk with Joe Pug, it was a remote conversation back in 2021. The world was pretty much still shut down, and it was a special, special conversation, something that Marinade fans continue to point to as one of their favorites. This time, y'all, we got to sit down with Joe backstage ahead of his show at Tuffy's Music Box in Sanford, Florida. The wonderful songwriter and friend of the show, Michael MacArthur, opened with Josh Davis on guitar, also a good friend of the show. The atmosphere was welcoming and beautiful, and I'm so grateful to bring you this episode. Everyone, it's my great honor to bring you the return of Joe Pug. Just like a memory when my father calls me home Like I'm racing under streetlights Back to dinner on the stove That there's a candle in my window That there's roses on my grave From those that I befriended Whatever it is. Dude, thank you for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. So excited. We got to do this on Zoom like, what, two years ago now it seems like, I guess? Might have been longer than that. Might have been longer than that. Um, things weren't opened up yet, I don't think, it, uh, when you and I caught up. On the phone. They took a while to open up, and even when they did open up for the live music business, things didn't really go back to normal until about this time last year or 18 months ago, believe it or not. Man, that's really interesting. I, I want to dive into some of that. I, I want to first just ask you like, how this, le- this, this Florida run has gone so far. You played Gainesville last night. It's interesting. I was just talking with Michael MacArthur, who's, who's opening these shows, and so it hasn't been going well. Oh, interesting. But hold on. (laughs) Like, it hasn't been going well by the numbers, technically. Like, we, all the shows are undersold. Okay. But, but, I had a talk with my agent this morning where I was like, you know what? The venues are good. There seems like there's people down here. In a way, 
in a way that it wasn't the case 10 years ago, I feel like there's a home for this music down here right yeah. now. So we'll, you know, the 50 or 75 people who are showing up, um, normally if I went to a town at this point in my life and there was 50 or 75 people there, I'd be like, cool, let's call it good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't need to come back here. But I feel like there's something going on in Florida right now uh, to the place, you know, the place we played in um, Gainesville last night, Hartwood Soundstage, that wouldn't have, would not have existed 10 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the place we're playing, um, there's a place up in Tampa uh, that's a listening room that would not have existed 10 or 15 years ago. So long story short is not as well as I would have hoped that it would have uh, gone this particular tour, but I do see something here and I'm going to. I want to kind of push my chips in on on Florida and, and start coming back here. Oh man, that excites me. Yeah, yeah. there's a there's a scene here um, yeah. for sure, and I agree with you that ten years ago it wasn't what it is now. I mean, yeah. Kyle Keller opened for you last night, right? Like, yes. And Kyle's fantastic, um, good friend of the show, buddy of mine. There's a bunch of guys in this town, guys mm-hmm. and gals in this town that are excellent songwriters. Um, there's a bunch of folks in Orlando proper too, and there's an appetite for this kind of music. So I'm really glad to hear you say that. I'm uh, I'm bummed that the numbers aren't what they should be, but it's okay. It's what happens when you don't play a place. I mean, if you're an independent musician, the first time you go into markets, it's it's just not going to be great. And I I have never built down here. Every other market that I've built, I've gone to every 12 months or 18 months for the last 15 years. So it makes sense. Yeah, um, that this is like this, and I just. You know, this is an hour and 45-minute Southwest flight from where I live. Mm. You know, it feels mm-hmm. easy to mm-hmm. me. So, yeah, I think I think we're going to come back. Good. I'm yeah. glad. I'm really glad to hear that. The first time I saw you was in Jacksonville opening for Steve Earle. God, yeah. <coughs> yeah. The Florida Theater? Yeah. 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 I'll never forget. I mentioned this last time, but it's worth mentioning. Yeah, I'll never forget you made the joke about pulling up in, like, your Corolla or whatever, and Steve and his tour bus was parked outside. Chasing the bus in my, uh, I had a silver Windstar. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, that was a really fond memory. My, my uh, dad and I went, and um, and that, and I've been a fan since. Like, that was my introduction. Right on. To your music, you know, wow. and that, I've been a, a huge fan since. So, yeah, please come back. Um, speaking of the Earl family, though, I wanted to tell you a story that I think you'll appreciate, which yeah. is I was watching you with Otis Gibbs talk. There was a series of videos. Yeah. I don't know if it ended up being in like one long podcast form or what, but it was great where you were telling Justin Towns Earl stories. Yeah. And you talked about the fact that he was, and we all knew this, but it was just interesting to hear you who had a firsthand experience with it, how he was so, he spent so much money on his shirts and so forth. And then Isbel's Weather Veins comes out, and he's got that song about... Yeah, what's up? No, it's all good. I got no guest list, no. And I don't think Michael's back here, but yeah, thanks, Cliff. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, that uh, there's a lyric in uh, When We Were Close from Weather Veins mm-hmm. where he says, and your shirt costs more than your guitar. Yeah. And it just, that, that connect. I connected it immediately to your conversation with Otis. Yeah. And then I'm going to take this a step further, which is I am leaning into fashion in the new year and like being, and that lyric inspired me to lean into fashion. I just thought you'd appreciate that. Like a fun, it's like a fun connection of like, 
I, I randomly one night was like having beers, watching videos on YouTube, and I found yeah. you and Otis Gibbs talking about that. Those amazing stories. Justin was g- genuinely into fashion. I've never been into fashion, but I've had a lot of good friends who are. So it's, it's one of those deals where you're like, I don't understand it, but enough people who, whose opinion I respect, like I get it, you know? Yeah. And uh, Justin, he was really into it, and he knew... I mean, he was telling me about Billy Reed before Billy Reed had stores all over the place. You know what I mean? Like, he was yeah. really into all the Billy Reed stuff and and all that. And, I mean, you can't deny it. He just looked like a million bucks on stage. So That marks two episodes in a row Billy Reed's come up. <laughs> well, if you're talking Justin in fashion, you know, that's, that's you know, that, that name is sure to follow. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. I was talking to the comedian Max Fine, who's from Atlanta, and um, mm-hmm. he was talking about Billy Reed because we started talking about fashion because it's on my mind. So, it, yeah. it, you know, it came up. You you mentioned you you know talking about being an independent um, artist and like last time we talked, you were really leaning into like thinking through what the physical product of your work looks like and what you're presenting like what you what you have to provide for your fans mm-hmm. and you've made these huge strides since then. And I'm interested if you could talk a little bit about that and the decisions that you made and how the vault came together and what that looks like. Yeah, I um, I brought my merchandise uh, in whole operation in-house. I used to have a third party do it, and BJ Parham was the one that told me to do that because I called him up and I said, I think I'm paying this third party too much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, you know, effectively 25% of the gross. And uh, he said, yeah, you can save some money by doing it this way, and that's good, but that's not the reason you should do it. The reason you should do it so that you understand your audience a lot more and he was right I, I have saved money and, and a dollar saved is a dollar earned for sure but I just I understand a lot better what people like and, and, and what I can send them home with um, that'll make them that'll bring you know joy to them uh, creative joy uh, and yeah most recently I um, I basically started a for lack of a better word like a subscription service on my website I, I've branded it it's called The Vault and uh, it works out good for me. I've seen a couple artists start to try to do it, but their problem is they they have no, they have nothing to paywall. You know what I mean? Like they mm. they. So for me, I have a podcast that has you know 250 episodes. I can paywall that. Um, then the other critical thing is, I own the masters and the publishing of all of my work. Oh, awesome! Um, and so if you have a, a label that owns your a popular album of yours and you say well we want to take this off spotify and paywall it they'll go cool it's not yours it's not yours to pay what we could paywall it yeah if we're dual tone or atlantic or canvas back or whoever like we could paywall it but you as the band can't because it's not yours anymore you sold it to us um so i was in a unique position to do that and um it's been going good. I, I had to take a lot of quote unquote pay cuts over the years by never selling the masters. You know what I mean? Like I could have cashed out early. A lot of times I kept on thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing, man? Like maybe I should just take the payday. And then when it came to this subscription service or this paywall, basically I, I realized like, okay, this is why I was saving this. Cause now I own all this stuff. I can do whatever I want. I could take all of it off the internet tomorrow and and just make it disappear if I wanted to. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's how the the vault came together. And luckily, I have enough stuff uh, to put behind there. And we got a good crew of, of folks behind there now. And I'm just trying to figure out how to 
to serve them and, and, and bring them cool stuff. Man, that's awesome. Okay, this leads me into a question that came from one of our Patreon patrons who's mm-hmm. uh, a Florida songwriter, Rambler mm-hmm. Kane. Um, great young songwriter. And he's always, he's a huge fan of yours. Mm-hmm. And he asked on the Patreon, what sort of wisdom or advice would you give to a young songwriter starting out? And I'm interested in, in, in however you want to answer that question, but also the decision to make sure that you're keeping the rights to all your music and like how you navigated those waters. It's not always the right decision though, to keep um, the rights to your music. I mean, look, look at how well Zach Bryan has played it all with, you know, he went, he had this groundswell thing. He ends up um, partnering with Atlantic or whoever, but it was a major and it, took him from huge to hugest thing in the world. You know what I mean? So, no, I I have no idea. I don't know him, and I don't know what the details of his deal are. Maybe he didn't give up any control of it, but I'm assuming if you're with a major, you have to. But it worked out great for him. You know, it was a smart move. So I don't think the idea is to always not um, give up creative control. Um, I think if you're a young songwriter... I just wouldn't... I wouldn't take it too seriously or too personally in a way. It's like I've just seen it happen so many times where people who are, um, I'll put it to you this way. I never could have guessed the friends of mine who ended up becoming the most successful and the friends of mine who ended up becoming the least successful. I never could have guessed it at the end. Oh, interesting. You listen to like, um, I'm a big NFL guy, and if you listen to a lot of the analysis of that, what drives them crazy is they have all these metrics and all these stats, and yet still they cannot figure out how to draft a good quarterback out of college. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. it's like they just cannot come up with the magic sauce, the formula to figure it out. Yeah. And that's because when you're dealing with multivariate systems, it's just kind of beyond our capacity right now. So if you're a young person – Getting into a game as as complex and as strange as the entertainment business, well, you can't take any of it too personally. And that goes for the good stuff as well as the bad stuff. You know, if stuff pops off for you really quick and it's going great, that doesn't mean that you're the second coming of Christ. You know, it just means stuff has been going great for you. And, and you know, and be grateful for that and keep your head down and stay humble. And if things aren't going good for you, it doesn't mean that you're a morally stained bad person. It's just those are the breaks, man. And yeah. so um, enjoy it and, and don't take it personally. Man, that's great. That's really good stuff. And when you were a young songwriter, I mean, I got to see you when yeah. you were, you know, kind of starting out and you're on tour with Steve Earle. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did those like ups and downs feel like at that time? Because I would imagine that had to be a huge high, and then, yep. but it ain't all gravy. So like, do you, can you think back to those times and like how you felt and what you sort of how how you again how you navigated those waters? That was a huge high. I was about twenty four years old, and I went on the road with Steve, and that's the hugest high of it. Is that's when I quit my job that's when I quit my nine to five yeah you know pounding nails and, and that's when you knew because you're like I mean, like how did you know that there was, was money it? on the books yeah 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 I had quote-unquote money on the books with my I knew my nine to five god what was I making then I was making like $15 an hour which mm-hmm. back then 15 years ago was legit you yeah. know for a 24 year old without a college degree it was good so I'm making you know I don't know what that amounts to 
eight hundred bucks a week or something like that, and that's quote unquote money on the books. I yeah. know I have my eight hundred bucks a week coming in. That's how I pay for my place, pay for everything. Well, you know, when the Steve tour comes up and when other gigs start coming in and you have an agent and you can look at your itinerary and all of a sudden, in the same way that there was money on the books for carpentry, there was money on the books for being a songwriter. Like yeah. I it was, like I could plan my next six to 12 months because barring injury or sickness, I was going to get paid. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's how I knew it was time. It was just, you know, someone offered, effectively, someone offered me money to do it, you know? Right. Do you think there were transferable skills from carpentry to uh, either songwriting as a process or understanding songwriting as sort of a career? I don't think so much on the creative end there okay. there would be, but I do, you know, on if you're in the trades, you're generally a contractor and that's what I am, you know, that's, that's what I am now. I'm, I'm a contractor now with all these venues. I'm, you know, yeah, it's all, all at will employment and uh, it's a very similar, if, if I'm at a party um, with people our age uh, these days, it's, I always get, I always get along with the, the contractors, you know what I mean? Because we yeah. have a very similar Similar vibe. Yeah, that's great. I didn't. I don't think I knew you were an NFL big NFL guy. It's the only sport I was always into all the different sports as a kid. But then as you, you get older, you just get less time for things, and for whatever reason, that's the only thing I've kept up with. Interesting. Um. Uh, yeah, diehard skins guy. Although I have a kid who is seven now, and I don't think I'm going to make him grow up a skins or commanders fan and in fact he's watching the ravens game right now with my dad okay and if the ravens go to the super bowl this year i will have lost him forever <laughs> as a washington fan which i'm fine with i mean it's such a crap franchise and i hope that he's happy with his baltimore team well, name the team the fucking commanders, commanders. Like, dude it's, the washington football team was right it was it was fine it was fine it was much better than commanders it was so, so. much better yeah it's uh it's a shame it is a shame who do, you, who do you think when you look back on your fandom, maybe as a Washington football team fan, let's just call them that from now on. Sure. Um, or just NFL in general. Yeah. Who do you think are the most creative football players that you've watched? Favre, definitely. Oh, yeah. Favre well, is up him. there. Yeah. He was really fun to watch, and 80% of the time he'd be creative in a great way, and then 20% of the time it'd be like a real shit show. Yeah. You know, so Favre... Um, was great. You know, I got a year and a half, only a good year of RG3. And RG3, uh, that in like 2013 in Washington, when the, when they went to the playoffs before Shanahan got his knee shredded, yeah, he was fun that year, man. And yeah. Really creative. Looked a lot, you know, it's like a younger Lamar. You know, like yeah. now Lamar's like really in control and he really chooses his spots when to run and stuff. But uh yeah, RG3 was really creative, but far as far as like longevity of, of career goes and the amount of creativity that, that went into that, for sure. Man, I, I wouldn't have thought of Favre. That's an excellent call. Lamar is probably – I'm a big Jaguars fan, so oh, – okay, yeah. yeah so, so you Trev, guys played him a bunch. Yeah, and yeah. like, and he just shreds us. You know, he's just like yeah. – <laughs> he's just so good. Um, he's But he's also a Florida boy. And he went to oh, Louisville, but he's from South okay. Florida. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's, he's a country boy from South Florida. And I've always felt like he was underestimated because he's a country boy from South Florida. And Could be, but he just negotiated his own big-ass contract. I'm saying. He's a Saved. smart dude. He's savvy. Dude. And after signing that contract, I mean, he looked great this year. I, I don't – he was 24-10 when you and I started this interview, so they're probably going to go to the – 
conference championship, and yeah, he yeah. looks great, man. Is is Lawrence a guy or no? Yeah, he's a guy. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's the real deal. I don't. I've seen him play about two games. Yeah. So. Well, I think when you have expectations like he had. Um, and also, and I, this is my Jacksonville chip on my shoulder coming out, right, yeah. also, is that people will, will immediately jump on any, they're sharks that smell blood, right? They're going to jump on any sign of weakness or anything. Dude, he was hurt all year. I this mean, year? Yep. He okay. had a bad ankle. He had a bad knee. He had a concussion. He had a bad shoulder. And throwing shoulder, you know? And so, did he play his best this year? No, but when you actually watch every game obsessively the way that I do, mm-hmm. he is fully in control. Like he is right. the real deal. And there were there were times when he was overcompensating uh, because guys were dropping the ball. Like he's hitting guys yeah. in the hands, and and they're not open either. He's just yeah. he's dropping yeah. it in there, and he's hitting guys in the hands, and they're not making the catch. So eventually, he has to start forcing things. Yeah. Right, and so the national media narrative becomes that way because, yeah, his stats weren't great. But if you watched every game, what you saw was a guy who is the guy. Okay. You know? All right. Yeah. Well, I'm all. In, in some ways, I'm just a big NFL fan, so I want as many competent quarterbacks as possible because yeah. I just like watching the games. You know, like, and my son is so into it now, and it was a really bad wild card weekend last week. All the games sucked except we got to watch that. Um, the Lions Rams game. Yeah. And when when it's good, it's good. And that was a great yeah. wild card game. Yeah. And the Lions won after all these years and like my son was just getting hyped watching it like Yeah, I'm like a fan of a team, but my team has been bad for so long that like I just like watch I will watch any game. I'll watch any game. And like next weekend at my house for uh the conference championships will just be, you know, holiday weekend. That's so fun, man. Yeah. That's really great you have that gift with your son. Like, yeah. You get it's to watch fun, it, you know? Does he have any musical? Oh, we take a quick break? Yeah. Break? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, do it, yeah. Right yeah. Lots of dead air, great dead air content, though, while you were gone. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very charming stuff. <clears throat> Peter gave his social security number. We're, we're Boom. On, yeah, we're in we're good in. shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's going to get rich. Um, I was asking you, though, if, like, how I, we were talking about how special it is that you're, you get to share watching football with your son and um i was wondering like how you feel about as a parent and as a musician like are you encouraging him to play or you know football uh music music um yeah he's seven now so um i haven't pushed it on him earlier than this yeah but uh I think in the next year I'll put a I'll probably start putting a guitar in his hands. Uh, you know, Merle Fest happens up in um, in Maryland in like May, so I'll probably take him to Merle Fest, let him see some people play bluegrass music. Usually, there's a contingent of younger people at bluegrass festivals like right. that that yeah. are playing like yeah. kind of closer to his age. So kind of like let him see people his age or not his age, but you know a little bit uh, closer to his age are doing it, uh, and then once he sees that. Um, yeah, probably put something in his hands this time next year, or maybe in, in the fall of next year. That makes year. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever played Swanee, by the way? No. In Live Oak? Spirit Mm-mm. of the Swanee Music Park? No, no, no. All right, now that you're fired up about Florida, I want to... do it. Yeah, like the the Roots Festival's there. I think people would love you and Is you'd love it. Is it summertime? There's one in October, okay. and there's one in March. There's oh, okay. several festivals there, yeah, but yeah, yeah. the the Roots Festivals that I feel like... That's where I, like Peter Rowan plays, Jim Lauderdale... Okay. Every year, Jim Lauderdale plays. Every year, Verlin Thompson plays. 
All right, we got to talk when this is done. That yeah, because yeah. I, I do want to come back. So I, I'd love to get your. I know you're so dialed in down here. I'd like to get your idea of the best way to to attack that. Yeah, I'd so. love to. Um, I want to talk about sketch of a promised departure. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only heard the s- singles so far, mm-hmm. and they're fucking great. Thank you. I mean, I'm not surprised, but I'm also like just so excited that they're that good, right? Thank you very much. Yeah, and, but like also one of the things that I think has been fun about your career is and i think about this you know since we last talked nation of heat revisited has was released as well mm-hmm. yeah and you know that was that kind of record that people are really in love with right like a lot of people me included mm-hmm. are really in love with that record it was our introduction to you it was a yeah. big you know big part of uh, our what we attach to the thing that you do when you did revisited it's one of those things where you kind of hold your breath as a fan yeah. where you're like is this going to be what I hope it is, and yeah. you it exceeded expectations, right? Excellent. It was absolutely outstanding. Um, but what we're hearing from you in that record, and then also what I've heard from the singles from the new record, is just a lot more. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more going on, and I'm wondering about that decision, and then also about like how comfortable you are with that decision. Yeah, these are the the uh, the first two records that I've produced myself and Mm -hmm. i i work on them at home and i do all the arranging uh myself and so for better or for worse this is this is you know uh uh, as close as possible thus far as i've gotten to what my sound is and Mm. uh luckily I'm, i'm just in a position now where i've done this for long enough where i have the phone numbers of world class musicians and the only thing that you need to make a great record as world-class musicians and um i can just i can give them all a call you know they, they don't work for no money they cost but <laughs> everything costs and uh sure you know uh, i can really i'm able to get some pretty great uh performances from folks well you that does come up a lot i think when i think about your career is the fact that you have like you have all these people in your orbit who are world-class musicians right yeah, some of sure. my favorite musicians play on your records and are friends of yours and so forth, right? We've talked about B.J. Barham before and, um, you know, uh, who else? Like, Dave DeBorha was on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Revisited, and, like, there's several of my favorite musicians and songwriters that are involved in this recent project. Yeah. What do you think it is about, like, what lessons have you learned about maintaining those relationships over the years? Because people are willing to do it, right? Because mm-hmm. you have that relationship with them, and they believe in the music, no doubt, but... What have you learned over the years about like maintaining relationships like that? I mean, with relationships like that, it's just paying people very well mm. and never, never asking for a bro rate. I never <clears throat> ask for a bro rate from anybody. Um, I always pay quickly and pay well. Um, and I think um, music is so weird and so many people get emotions caught up in it. I always tell younger musicians that if you're in a band and there's a band leader, if the band leader starts talking about out of nowhere how we're all a quote-unquote family around here, get out of there now because you're getting ready to be paid half of what you're worth. Oh, shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we're not family. Um, we can be, you know, we can be close, I guess, but we're not family. And if you have people who are doing something that's world-class, they need to be they need to be paid that way. And money talks and bullshit walks. Yeah. And, you know... Um, so that's how I maintain the relationships. Whatever, 
whatever I, and I never try to negotiate down the rate. I ask them what their rack rate is. They send me a rack rate back. Some of them are really expensive and I just pay it, man. Yeah. And if I can't afford to pay it, I don't ask them to do it. You know, I, there's none of that shit. It's just like, you tell me what you want to get paid. Okay, let's go. Either I can afford it or I can't. And there's some guys, sometimes I get quoted something and I just come back and say, great, it's not in the budget right now. Love you, man. And I'll, I'll reach out to you again. Uh, and when I reach out to them again about another project, it's not to talk them down on price. It's to say, I know what your rate is now, and I have that in my budget. So this is how many songs we have to work with. Yeah. You know? So pay people. That's it. Pay them. When you're writing a song, or maybe when you've written it and you're looking to, to fill out that sound, mm-hmm. do you have like a roster of people that you're thinking of? Or are you, as you're writing, thinking like, I'd really like to have Sadler Vaden play on this or whatever? Uh, no, I'll generally finish it and then uh, just decide who uh, is available. But, I mean, it, availability is, is a big part of it, too. It's just like, who's available this week to work on it? And once you're working with a certain caliber of musicians, yes, one person might be 5% better than the, the other. But generally, once once they're working at a certain type of level, I say this with a with a with an emphasis on awe because I'm a songwriter. I'm not a musician, so I'm in awe uh-huh. of musicians who who that's part of their skill set i'm in awe i can't believe it um and i think what they do is is magic and um and without that magic the songs just don't come to life man that's interesting i've never heard anybody put it like that i'm a songwriter and not a musician i mean because it's not like you don't play several instruments right i can play guitar i can play piano i'm not a musician like if you were to come in here with a song or another songwriter were to come in here with a song right now and be like joe accompany me I, I mean, I really wouldn't be able to. Interesting. You know? Okay, so you can write for you and yeah. what you hear and what you and mean, look, but... I mean, yes, I could pluck along on the guitar and I could pluck along <laughs> on... Uh, I could stab away at the piano and I could play the right chords. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not what musicians yeah. do. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. They're playing melodies and counter melodies and they're framing things and they are doing different inversions of chords and they're doing it in real time without even thinking about it because to them playing their instrument is like what ice skating is to a hockey player. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just they, they don't even think about it. They just react. Yeah. You know? Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective on things and I feel like there's a certain amount of like humility that needs to come into that but also like a self-awareness, a self-awareness that comes into that, right? And like yeah. sort of um, acknowledging the difference all right, so shifting gears a little bit, as a songwriter, when you, uh, we were listening to the Diving Sun last mm-hmm. night, um, and I have I have that vinyl copy, and uh, we were just like spending time with it and listening to it and yeah. thinking about it, and, I, and then I was thinking about our conversation the last time, mm-hmm. which was about right after that came out, if That's I remember right. the timeline correctly, yeah. 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 Um, and at that time, some of those songs were like kind of had been sitting around for a while and that sort of thing. What about this collection of songs? Is this yeah. something that like you wrote in between then or is this are these newer songs or these? Where did this, this is kind of crazy because this is an album where pretty much no part of it existed a year ago. Okay. You know what I mean? And Shit. so it was all written between, yeah, mid-January to to late August. And even one of the songs, you know, we went to mastering in mid September and one of the songs wasn't even written in uh, mid-August. Uh, oh. I wrote Brother John a month, three weeks before the album was mastered. So, and then you know the whole thing 
went to vinyl pressing. It's like the song didn't exist, and five weeks later, it's being pressed to vinyl. Um, it's the quickest turnaround I've ever yeah. done with a record. Yeah, because I mean, I, I I remember us last time talking sort of about like in the past how things have come together somewhat mm-hmm. more slowly. How okay, like why? Why the difference? It comes down to money again. Okay. I fund all. I don't. I don't work with the label anymore. I I fund all of this. I'm the one that pays for it. So. I decide, you know, when it comes out and when it doesn't. And I just, that allows me to work at a faster pace. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't have a big release schedule or I have to get other things out on time. Um, I don't have to go through, you know, rounds of meetings about whether we think the album is good or not. This is, I mean, I think the album's good because I work very hard on it and this is my vision for it and it's done, in my opinion. You know, yeah. and so go press it press it let's go <laughs> yeah you know, like and uh, okay and let's move on to to touring it and then you know writing another record so i if you're doing it that way then like are there um do you have uh, thought partners other than the people playing on the on the record that you know instead of you're in a meeting and you're going mm-hmm. well how are we gonna do this and what, what are we gonna do here it's all you yeah. ultimately it's your decision yeah, I, I wouldn't say that there's any like codified version of that, but I definitely, as I'm working on stuff, I'll casually, with people that I'm around, it doesn't even have to be people that I'm close to, but just people that I'm around, um, a neighbor, you know, um, a, a a parent of one of my kid's friends, uh, if we're around on a sound system, I'll, uh, I'll be like, hey, let me toss something on for you real quick. You want to hear something? And everyone's always, you know, they're excited to hear music in its, you know, as it's being made. And I just toss it on, and whether it's my wife or my dad or a neighbor or the parent of a friend's kid, I don't listen to anything that they say to me afterwards. I just watch their body language as they listen to it. And you can tell, you can tell almost instantly from their body language whether they like something or not. And, and then afterwards, they, there may be no correlation between if they, I can tell they actually liked it or not, and whether they say, that, they're always going to say that they like it. Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so there's that, and then there's never any correlation. You know, everyone wants to say, I, I think it's good, but do this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just, you shut all that out. You know what you should do. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. they don't, they yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, the one thing that they do know is if they don't like it. Uh. That is super legit. If they don't like it, cool. They have no idea why they don't like it. Yeah. No one does, but, but they don't like it. They don't like it because it's not good, you know? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's not like an explicit thing where I have like a brain trust of people, you know, giving me notes on stuff. Um, I just, I play it for someone and see if they enjoy it. I think it's a weird thing, like, luckily songwriting doesn't have too much of this. I, I think you see it in literary communities a lot where it's mm-hmm. like people get together in these writers groups and like they just, they they tear each other's work apart and they spend you know years quote-unquote like refining things and to me it's like i don't know that seems like a way to avoid releasing something and calling it done that seems like a way to um, abdicate responsibility for creative choices Um, that seems like a way of making a bunch of work that is it's like okay cool we went through you know Five years of workshops for everyone's novel, and it all sounds like Raymond Carver. Great. I love Raymond Carver. I think he's great. I don't think everyone should sound like Raymond Carver. Right. You know, some people need to sound like G.K. Chesterton. Some people need to, you know, sound like, um, you know, um, Steinbeck, whatever. But, like, people should sound different. You know what I mean? 
I do know what you mean, and I think, I think that's part of why people attach to your music so much and connect with your music so much because you don't sound like anybody else. You sound like you, right? We it, and that is always not great for me. You know, here I am. You know, I'm I'm the forty year old guy playing. You know, tiny little nightclubs. I, I'm able to make a living, but like it's you know it's close to the bone. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing this for fifteen years. I've never had a tour manager in my entire life like it's close to the bone i'm doing this because i really love doing it and um and if i had to make it sound like something else i would just go do another job and make a lot more money you know yeah what I mean? yeah uh, but i like doing it this way i find it extremely meaningful and satisfying and so here i am for better or for worse yeah what do you think you would be doing if you want sales probably Really? Yeah, you just make a bunch of money in sales and I, oh you just man. talk to people and, you know. I don't know you real well, but I I, I feel like you'd be miserable. I'd be miserable, <laughs> but I feel like, you no, know, you can make a lot of money in a short amount of time and yeah. you just you get off the job as much as possible. You just make money. Yeah. Know? I think about that a lot. You know, I'm a middle school English teacher and um, and then I, you know, do this as a passion and yeah. um, as you know, in podcasting, this is... This does not pay the bills. Heck no. <laughs> oh, um, so I, I think about that a lot. And, and thankfully, I've sh- kind of structured my life where, like, teaching allows for me to have the time to do things like this, right? Absolutely. So I've got the summers off and I've got the spring breaks. And so, yeah. you know, I can write and I can podcast and I can do all that for my passion. I can travel. Like I'm going to head up to Kentucky and Tennessee this summer and go to a couple festivals nice. and, you know, cover and interview people. I've structured my life that way, but part of it also for me is like something you said resonated with me earlier, which is like I couldn't do sales. Like, mm-hmm. and no offense to people who do sales, yeah, but yeah. like I would just be so sad because yeah. I need, like, I need out of my work the ability to walk away from it and be like, oh, what I did today made a huge fucking difference. Mm-hmm. And I envy people who can compartmentalize. Yes. You know, and go like, well, it's a job and I'm going to do the job and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a father and, a and husband do the stuff that's meaningful. You know, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just not geared that way. You know, I get that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the podcast, um, the working songwriter, uh, I got a great compliment recently where somebody compared what I do to what you do. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that's really kind. Um, do Where do you see? I'm constantly thinking about, we were having a conversation earlier, Peter and I do um, some work on our over on the Patreon, on my mm-hmm. Patreon, and um, he's been a great supporter of the show, we were talking about the, sh- the marinade earlier, and I was talking about how, like, the way I think about these conversations now, and how it's evolved, mm-hmm. um, how, have, how do you think the working songwriter has evolved, and what do you see as sort of like the next steps? I think as the podcast, it's just evolved in that I'm able to um, more casually have the conversations. I, yeah. I, you know, I used to do a lot of in-depth research yeah. on people, but then I kind of realized that, you know, I don't re-interview people too much. So all of the interviews have just kind of taken on this structure of like your early years, your middle years, and what are you doing now? Yeah. And so I don't need to do a ton of research on people because sometimes the research gets in the way and it stops me from having a conversation. Dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I do enough research coming into a thing so that I'm not going to freaking pronounce somebody's name wrong, 
not know the major. I mean, you have to give them the due respect of knowing what they're about. But beyond that, um, I let the research go and I just have a conversation. I have like, you know, the eight bullet points I want to hit. And if we have a great conversation between bullet point number two and number four and we don't get to five through eight, that is better than rotely going through 20 bullet points with impeccable research. You the know? first time I interviewed you, I had a whole huge page of bullet points uh-huh. and and so forth. This is what I have now. And this time you have, yeah, a handful. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and I think what it, we just talked, we were t- Peter and I were talking about this uh, yesterday, and I think what has happened for me at least, and I hope folks listening feel the same way, is that it has made for richer conversations. I, yeah, I, I actual think conversations. Yeah, yeah, actual conversations. Like the tangent that we had about the NFL, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have had that last time I talked to you, even no. if I knew that. 100%. Right? Because I would have been like, no, I still need to ask about Nation of Heat, and I still need to, you know? Sure. I would have had all these things I wanted to talk to you about, and instead now we're just having a conversation, which I think makes for a much more compelling listen. Ob- yeah, I think obviously so. Yeah. For sure. Dude, I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time, and you're going to go on... Yeah. Well, who knows when you're going to go on because apparently doors are already. <laughs> we thought they were in 20 minutes, but yeah. uh, but I uh, I do want to make sure that we hit what we always end on, which is what you're getting down on. So the art that has you inspired right now, like a book oh. you're reading or music or yeah. Um, I just read um, uh, Mark Twain's book Joan of Arc, which oh. is great. It's a historical fiction book. It's excellent. It was uh, originally serialized in Harper's. Um, at the turn of the 20th century and it's really good he considered it his he considered it apparently this is what it said on the back of the dust cover of the book who knows what's true but apparently he considered it his his greatest work and it's my favorite mark twain book that i've read uh so reading that and then um i've been really listening to a ton of tony rice and and on kind of that that Ricky Skaggs uh, period of him and Ricky Skaggs type period been listening to interesting that. yeah is that kind of stuff is bluegrass like in that vein something that you've long been into or is that a relatively yeah. new thing yeah I, I really do like um, kind of uh, what we, what would you describe like kind of like Protestant American church music yeah I really like it a lot yeah and, uh, that that obviously is the bedrock of bluegrass so I'm not I, I deal with the shredding. I'm fine with the shredding. You know what I mean. But it's mainly the the catalog that they tend to play that I really like. And and um, uh, Tony Rice can obviously shred, and that's what people love him for. But I I love his I really love his voice. It's a very pure and true kind of lower voice. And mm-hmm. him and Skaggs together are just really great. Man, that's awesome, Joe. I'm so excited for the show tonight. Thank great. you so much for your time as always. Thanks Do you have the record uh, on tour for sale, or is it not out I yet? Don't. Not really. I don't, I don't know okay. why I didn't bring it. I think I tend to bring the 10-inch records because they're just lighter to travel Easier. with. Easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As yeah, soon yeah. as the record's out, I'll, I'll start. Uh, okay. But, yeah. All right. Yeah. Dude, thank you. Thanks. Really Thanks appreciate for hosting it. me. Yeah. Joe Pug, y'all. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank all of you for listening. JoePugMusic.com for all things Joe Pug. The song you're hearing in this episode is Treasury of Prayers from the forthcoming, much-anticipated record, Sketch of a Promised Departure. You heard him talk about all of the innovative ways in which you can support his work. I scooped up a hat and a copy of Nation of the Heat revisited at the show, and I'm so glad I did. I love both of those. MarinadePodcast.com for all things The Marinade. Follow us on all the things youtube instagram tiktok reddit spoutable twitter blue sky mastodon i'm taking a little bit of a break from social media at the moment i'm not totally um 
off of it. I'm still, you know, fuck with Reddit a little bit and I'm going to pop into Twitter and Instagram and just kind of check my messages and notifications and respond to some folks. But I'm not as responsive as I normally would be over on those channels at the moment. So be patient with me, but you can uh, email us, marinadepodcast at gmail.com. I'm still checking that all the time and responding. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the show. Go do that right now while you're listening, please. It makes a big difference for us and costs so little of your time and effort. If you like what we're doing and can swing it, consider joining our Patreon community. For just two bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content. That's stuff like our show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. One of the best days of the month for me is recording what we're getting down on with my dear friend, the brilliant and hilarious Peter Haraldson. That's about the art that has us fired up at the moment. Peter was actually there with Joe uh, in the green room with me and Joe uh, during the conversation. He spent a weekend with me. We recorded a live what we're getting down on that same weekend. And I'm reminded as I'm recording this that we owe y'all a February edition. But my life has been so scrambled at the moment. So we'll make that happen as soon as possible. You can try a free trial of Patreon to see if you like it. No pressure. Try it for seven days. Set a reminder on your phone in case you want to cancel. Keep going if you dig it. If you want to support the show financially, but you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, I totally get that. You can Venmo or PayPal us. It's just at the marinade and all the money goes right back into the making of the show. We're going to cover some festivals in the new year. Um, It just feels weird saying the new year here in February, but it does kind of like oddly feel like the year just started. Uh, At the same time, it feels like the longest year in the world. So uh, regardless, we got a lot of cool stuff going on in the new year. And above all, we're just thankful that you listen and spread the word about the marinade. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.